Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this session, so stick around and we'll jump right on in. Before we get started this week, I'm proud to announce that Permaculture Magazine of North America has become the first sponsor of this podcast. Incidentally, they've also just celebrated their one-year anniversary this summer. And as the offshoot of the beloved Permaculture Magazine International out of the UK, there is now a regional edition to help strengthen permaculture knowledge throughout North America. This is one of my favorite go-to resources for the latest information on innovation and news in the permaculture world. If you visit permaculturemag.org to sign up for your hard copy subscription today, you'll get the 25-year digital archive of Permaculture Magazine International as a free bonus. And just for listeners of The Abundant Edge, you can now receive 50% off your digital copy subscription right now by finding the discount code in the show notes for this episode. So go now to permaculturemag.org and dive deep into the local and global solutions that go beyond sustainability. Alright, I have an unusual interview for y'all today since I actually won't be the one conducting the interview. Instead, Neil Haggerty, one of the lead designers and team members here at Abundant Edge, will be taking the reins since he's actually known Alex Kronick of Cuoba Farms in Antigua, Guatemala for years and is good friends with him. Now I call Alex the most impressive permaculturalist you've never heard of because he likes to keep a low profile, but to his credit, his farm and enterprises are truly impressive. He co-manages an incredibly diverse biointensive market garden within the town that also has a farm-to-table restaurant, farmer's market, and local organics goods store. Around the peripheries of the farm, he raises many varieties of animals, fruit trees, perennial crops, and even makes his own bokashi composting. He raises snails and has an exotic plant nursery and even a seed-saving operation. It's the most complete and functional permaculture operation that I've seen anywhere in the world, and I've visited quite a few. But before I give anything away, let me hand things over to Neil to give us a rundown of the interview. All right, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Neil Haggerty. He's agreed to do the interview because he's also good friends with Alex Kronick, the interviewee in this episode. So, Neil, tell us a little bit about what you guys talked about in this, this session. Uh, yeah, well, I was really excited to interview Alex. We've been friends for a long time. I've been in Guatemala going on four years now, and I've known Alex for a good bit of that time. I stopped by Coahuila Farms when I was uh, doing research for my thesis, uh, and it's a great uh, urban market garden. The place is just thriving. Um, it's not just a, a great market garden. It also has really cool uh, permaculture features. It has a whole wild area around the borders. Alex is a very um, passionate uh, plant collector, so he runs a nursery with all kinds of exotic plants in it. Um, very interesting guy. So we just talked about, uh, he actually started talking a lot about the challenges of market gardening, particularly in Guatemala, where there wasn't a, a history or a culture of, of eating organic food. So the start of the interview almost sounds kind of uh, discouraging. Um, because he, he talked a lot about like the problems he had, but if you stick with the interview, the more technical information comes at around the 20 minute mark about, you know, the base, how to actually get started. 
Um, but it's it's worth listening to. Alex tells his story of coming back from the states. He's Guatemalan. He's half Guatemalan, half American, and he went to the he went to uh, he went to college in the states. And when he talks about coming back and starting, you know, starting from scratch, growing lettuce and getting it in, and real realizing that there was no let there was no organic lettuce to make uh, Caesar salads in the restaurants. So starting with lettuce and then going to Rocket and how he went from there to now being the owner of uh, what's certainly the most well known organic farm in Guatemala and 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 beyond to to his future plans for this huge piece of land that he's bought and all the plans he has for that. So interesting interview yeah very inspiring guy and there's also a lot of things that we'll link to in the show notes after this uh and neil as well if people want to know more about you if they hadn't heard from you from before you can check out the interview that i did with neil uh, a couple of episodes back and yeah let's hand it over to you and alex chronic all right alex so uh listen thanks a million for joining us on uh, on the abundant age website this is actually my first interview uh and I'm glad to be interviewing my good friend uh, Alex Cranick, the owner of of Cooba Farms and a lot of other um, initiatives here in Guatemala. So, Alex, why don't you just start and tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the enterprises you're involved in? Okay, um, thirty-six years old. Um, I consider myself married, but. I'm really not married, you know. I just live with my partner since long, long ago. I love farming in many ways. Uh, I love business. I love solving problems and helping community. And uh, what I do kind of, kind of uh, tangles up everything I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with that comes a lot of stress, which I'm trying to manage. That's my biggest concern, you know. Always overthinking things, never have time for myself, really. It seems like, it seems like I would always have time for everybody else except for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to work on that. But uh, what definitely calms me down is uh, being in nature, in the farm, and not having to deal with anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, that's an interesting one about not leaving time for yourself. Huh? Um, I feel that's actually pretty common in the sort of permaculture world people they get very passionate about what they do uh but then they kind of sort of forget that the whole point was just to be kicking it on a nice farm in nature and relaxing not working all the time right well you know the principle of number one of permaculture is get a yield and with a yield comes business and with business (laughs) it's 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 and therefore, before you know it, you're tangled in business and you're not enjoying your farm. So. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But listen, all right, so listen, why don't you tell me, I mean, um, I think the thing you're most known for around Antigua is Cooba Farms. So why don't you tell me a little bit about like Cooba Farms, how it got started in it and, and, and I, you know, how, how yeah. you got into it and, and what it turned into. Okay, so about 14 years ago, I was in college in Northern California in a private small college called uh, Sierra Nevada College. It's in Lake Tahoe uh, on the Nevada side. And um, it's a well-known school for international business and entrepreneurship, environmental science and ceramics out of everything else. 
you know, so I have a degree in um, entrepreneurship and, and I have a degree in ceramics. Uh, well, I got a minor. I don't have a full degree. I have a minor on ceramics. And um, basically, I had to do a thesis. And uh, part of the thesis on entrepreneurship was basically coming up with a, an idea, turning it into business and presenting it to some venture capitalist and see if you got lucky and you get funded and there you boom, you're part of society. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, everybody loved the idea I, could, I was going to have, but no one wanted to invest in Guatemala, so it didn't really work out for me. Uh, that idea was to start a farm uh, here in Antigua, Guatemala, where I was going to grow produce, not necessarily organic, because 14 years ago, organic wasn't really that trendy. Um, but I always did it organic, but... Uh, the idea was to start with exotic products you weren't able to find here locally because the scene, the culinary scene was starting to grow and expand. But what's about a good culinary chef and a good culinary scene if you can't get culinary items, right? So I was like, I got the land from family members that had it abandoned. And um, the idea was to grow products that you couldn't find in your local grocery store here or the local local market, which was mostly where everybody bought stuff. And the two things I saw that were needed for the restaurants around was romaine lettuce, since I got the idea because I went to a fine restaurant and I ordered a Caesar salad and I got iceberg lettuce. And I was like, this can't be. I mean, I was like, no way a Caesar salad is with iceberg. And where's my crunchy rib romaine, you know, that, that that's exactly what you're looking for. And then I started doing a little bit more research and no, you couldn't really find romaine lettuce in all Guatemala. I mean, there was, I, I, you just couldn't find it. So that was the reason they were using either yellow leaf or iceberg lettuce for romaine salads. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's, that's a potential. And then I started going and I went to like maybe four or five different fancy restaurants and sure enough, all like, Four out of the five had a Caesar salad with a Caesar dressing, but no romaine. It was all iceberg. So I was like, I was like, there's there's one for you. So I'm gonna grow romaine lettuce for set for restaurants, and that was my first item that I started growing. So I grew it for them. They were very happy, and before you know it, they told another restaurant that hey, now we can find romaine lettuce, and I started growing romaine lettuce for the second restaurant. The third restaurant I started talking to uh, was an Italian restaurant, and uh, sure enough, they were interested in the romaine lettuce, even though I don't know how much romaine lettuce is part of Italian cuisine, but they were, they were interested in it. But with that came the, the, the thought that they were like, where's the arugula? We need arugula for, you know, our salads and pizzas and bruschettas and whatever they make, which they want arugula. So I was like, you know what? You're right. There's no arugula. So then I started counting how many Italian restaurants were in town and there was like three or four. And I knew there was like 10 or 15 in the city, which were like kind of not fast food chain Italian. They were like fancy Italian. So I knew there was a potential to grow arugula. And so that was my second item. And um, then with the, the, the same Italian movement came the Italian basil. That was my third product. You could not do a, capre a, a decent pesto and a decent capre salad because they were using the local basil, which is good, but 
it's not, you know, the, the, the Italian, um, one. That <coughs> yeah, the sweet, the sweet, the sweet basil, you mean? Yeah, the sweet basil, which is like the Genovese, you know, like the Genovese basil. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people who don't know, well, who cares? But, you know, the more and more they were trying to open up the culinary scene and more international people come in and if you can't keep up with their taste, then they don't, they don't think it's that good, you know, or they don't meet the, the standards. So that was the third item. And before you knew it, I was working with 10 restaurants. Then I went to the city and then slowly started getting more items and I always grew it organically because I was eating it myself and everything, but I never really marketed it as an organic product because I wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really popular to market it. I knew people wouldn't even pay for it. I mean, the scene in the States wasn't even started by then. I mean, the, the, the organic scene started like in 2008, really strong. I mean, it did exist, but it really didn't really get going till picking up till like 2008. And, um, with like Trader Joe's and, and, and Whole Foods and all that. In 2004, when I started, 14 years ago, I mean, Trader Joe's was out there, but it, was, it wasn't that big of a company as it is today. You know, it's not the, the really famous. Right. So, and just to, just to stop you there, like, were you then, were you motivated to grow it organically because it was more efficient? Did, was there like an, what was the... No, I, I, I know. Not at all. Not at all. I was, I was motivated to grow organic because I was eating it myself and my family was eating it uh, and I never really liked the idea of chemicals and all that but I, it's a lot harder I never thought I mean the easy thing would be just to you know do traditional work one or two items and mass produce it and grow chemicals and that'd be the business part of it but in Guatemala things when you do something and people see it works they start catching on and then they start copying and there's always someone with more money and more things and so I figured you know stick to quality and not quantity so that's kind of was my model yeah. uh, from the beginning and uh, you know it's like there's a reason why the Germans are still doing good and the Japanese are still doing good because the Chinese can't do what they do you know you can't compete with the low end because they'll kill you you know so um, you know if I'm sure enough nowadays there's 50 different companies that do what I do, but you know, they work on one or two items, mass produce it, cheap chemicals, and yeah, it looks great, it's packaged great, they probably have a good service, but it's, the quality's not there, you know, it's not organic, and because it's hard to do that. And nowadays, if there is organic, you know, what's the next step of organic is, you know, what I'm trying to promote nowadays, it's what I tell people all the time, is that there's a difference between uh, organic agriculture and organic products, which is what people have tend to focus on, because there's a lot of money in organic. So, you know, but just to just to bring you back there a second, Alex, because it's like it's interesting. If someone didn't know Coalba Farms, to hear you talk about there, it, it's small. Like you went from producing two types of lettuce and arugula organically to now having like this really really impressive uh, organic farm. That has yeah, that was within the first two years, you know, that was probably within the first two years. So we're talking 2006, you know, that the organic movement still hasn't picked up. But what's starting to happen is before the organic stuff starts picking up is I'm having difficulty finding seeds. I'm having difficulty finding seeds because I have to sneak them in from the States. I do somehow, you know, it's impossible bringing them in unless you bring bulk, like huge amounts and pay ridiculous amount of taxes, this, that, and... And half the time you probably wouldn't even get
get it. I mean, because I did try doing it illegally like that, you know, once in a while, but, but it didn't work. So um, I, I got into the whole heirloom seeds. That's when I, I got into the whole heirloom seeds. And I was like, you know what? I need to start growing items that I can actually reproduce myself here. So that's when I started growing lettuces. I could make my own seed. That's when I started getting into arugula that I could do my own seed. That's when I guess I started choosing products that I could sell in my market. They were exotic, but at the same time were seeds that I could reproduce and therefore I didn't have to go through that trouble. I could just sneak in, you know, a couple hundred seeds into my pocket once and then start produce, producing my own seeds and go from there on. Yep. So, but, so see, came, but seed saving is no easy thing to get into. I mean, it, 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 it takes a whole, it's a whole system in itself, no? It was my way out to to keep the business going if I wanted to sell these exotic things because no one was selling these exotic seeds. No one you could barely find romaine lettuce. Try to find an organic or romaine or lettuce seed was even difficult. Nowadays you can find it, but it's not the ones that they're hybrids. You know they're this, you know Bayer this that. Some of these seed companies have them, but it's not the one that you're gonna want to reproduce seed from. Right. Uh, and and the seeds are ridiculously expensive. I mean, see, when you buy something like that here, like a, a thousand seeds of romaine here in Guatemala are three, four times the price of a thousand seeds of romaine in the States. So, I mean, you start losing your numbers and then before you know it, you've got to sell lettuce so expensive that no one's going to buy it from you. So, so the idea was to produce seeds. And yeah, getting into seeds was difficult. Um, so I started by trial and error, you know, but, uh, I, I don't know if I always had a green thumb or just kind of came naturally to me or something, but you know, like it was, it never really became that hard for me. It was just, it was just, uh, some seeds are more difficult than others and stuff, but it was just time, you know, it's just patience. Seeds are not fast, you know, they just take a while. And, right. uh, and at, th at this stage, were you doing most of the work yourself? Had you already taken on a bunch of people? No, I was doing most of the work myself for the first two years. Uh, with I had one or two other people helping me out. And then um, as we started to do more seeds, as we started to grow more items, as we started to get more restaurants, well, then it started to become more like managing people and less actual farm work. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started. That's when I'm telling you where you start, okay, now I got my yield, I'm, I'm self-sustainable, I'm making money, this, that. Then all of a sudden you're doing business, managing people, and you're not, that's where the stress starts coming in. <laughs> and you don't start enjoying your, your plot, you know, something that you would do just to grow for yourself. You know, it'd be nice to just retire and then do your garden. I mean, I think this is, you're touching on a really interesting point here, which is something that I think a lot of people, it's like a curve people go through in permaculture where you maybe like start a farm, start an initiative with the intention of like whatever it is getting off the grid or being sustainable and all the rest of it. But then, like you say, it brings all these responsibilities and all this management with it. And, you know, eventually you might you, you sort of try and go full circle with it, right? Like you eventually yeah, want to just get back to I, having I, a little... It, it, uh, I don't know if it's rock bottom or hit the, the sky chart of the curve right now. So basically, and that doesn't mean that, you know, it's like everything in life is cycle. So right now I think I hit the top and now I'm really starting to come back down. I'm like, you know, trying to build my house in, in the farm. I want to go move out there. You know, I, I, I'm trying to make this farm a lot smaller 
you know, just way more sustainable, way running on itself, not needing me, all that. So just I want to I want to get back to your future plans, right, for your land. But just before that, I think a lot of people listening to this will because, you know, I'll say I said it in the the introduction, but like Coover Farms is a fantastic example of like or like an urban agriculture project. You know, what size of an area have you got there? And sorry, I guess my question is like to somebody because I think urban agriculture and and um and market gardening is becoming a real thing and it's you know it, people talk about having a lot of potential what were like what are like the keys to to the to the success of the model you're running the keys to the success i, I mean i guess what if you're start my question is if you're starting if somebody is looking at starting a a, a, a sort of sustainable market farm or small scale agriculture project what are the things that like you have to get right and what are some tips on actually on getting those things right like you already talked about seeds yeah um it depends on your on the culture the country where you're doing it at i think because it was definitely never really a success here in guatemala Right. People are not educated, and therefore, because I have a second salary from other businesses, I was able to really keep this going. Uh, if it weren't for that, I'd probably be in the run for since a long time ago. Uh, you want to do things right, the correct way, not cheating anybody out. It's very hard work, takes a lot of time, and people sell their food too cheap and don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Food not. Mm-hmm. Cheap. You go to any grocery store, 50% off, 70% off, this, 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 and and it's everything, you know, it's like the grocery store pitch, you know, and it's like food has prostituted itself pretty much, and growing pure organic food with the hard work that you do and all that is really expensive, you know, and if the farmer's going to live properly, I mean, it's it's hard, you know, and, and Unless you have an educated community who's willing to spend the money and understand this, you're pretty much screwed. You know, Guatemalans don't care about it. So, right. I, I, I was forced to sell products that were way more expensive. You know, my, my competitors, you know, my indirect competitors, let's call them because they're not exactly the same. But let's say if someone else who sells a romaine lettuce, they're half right. the price and they're making larger margins than me, you know, like in profit. So it's like, Sell for twenty Q a pound, they sell for ten Q a pound. Yeah. My expenses are eighteen Q, so I make I make ten percent. Their their expenses are five. They're making fifty percent. So you know, it's like one of those things where it, it's it's just difficult. And I did it more for the love and for the for because for doing it now that now that education is coming into the Guatemala within I think the last four years maybe it's starting to pick up. People are starting to become more. You know, knowledgeable with the internet and with more accessibility, you know, education, people are starting to understand, you know, healthy, sustainable, you know, community, all this starting to pick up and it's becoming a trend. And therefore now they're starting to come to me and say, hey, even even if it is expensive, they're willing to spend a bigger budget on what I'm doing than, than before. So it was hard getting to this point. Now, now I would say it's, it's profitable. But before, when I first was getting it, it was like what am I doing here? You know, it's like a, it was just because that's what I like to do. 
And I'm, and I'm, luckily I'm a guy who's pretty simple, you know, don't drive the, the newest car. I don't have a nice watch. I don't, I don't even carry a watch. You know, I don't, I, I don't travel much. So I mean, pretty much all my, all, all the money I, I made was, was more, invested into the farm. Yeah. And, and knowing that I had help from my family because they gave me a piece of property. I right. mean, so, I mean, but know, let's just, let's just assume, um, going back to like, some kind of more technical stuff right because i do feel like the it's true what you say you know the barriers against doing organic agriculture are are enormous you know um, well i think i just I started, a while, started a while back when it wasn't you know it was a it was a difficult time i think starting nowadays there's a lot more opportunity there's way more tourism there's way more restaurants there's way more of this there the internet has helped out you know um, so I think, I mean, if there's way more, I would, I, I would say to anybody to start doing something more like this, but back right. in the day so, it was a bit more difficult. So going, so going back to that, I mean, like the thing that always strikes me about Colba is like as a permaculturalist and as, and as a designer, I always think it's an extremely well-designed farm, you know, like, so, and like, you know, the fertility management, this. Few things I can tell someone: uh, don't, don't wait till something's perfect to do it. You know, like some people wait till something's perfect and then they start doing something. You know, like just go with what you got and start doing it. You know, that's that's number one. I think. You know, some people want to open up a restaurant and until they got everything perfect, you know, they'll open the doors to start business. You know, it's start out with what you got. If you got recyclable tables and you got a little two burner stove and you really want to open up a restaurant with that. And then with that, see, learn your curve. It, you know, you don't start with, you know, so you got a whole full stainless steel kitchen and this, and you invested, you know, $100,000 in your restaurant, and then you're going to open up, and then no one shows up. You're like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> yeah. So but start with what you got, and that comes down to this farming also. Don't start to, oh, I need to have arugula, and I need to have carrots and I need to have basil and I need to get at least 10 products before I can even go to a restaurant and offer it or to a farmer's market or I need to have like a good clean uh, list of things that I can sell. No, the right. only thing you got so just, just go, go through, through what you have and, and go for it. Yeah, go for it and start with what you got and then, you know, you'll slowly, if, if it's for you, then you'll slowly get more and more and more. If it's not for you, you'll learn and they'll tell you. Right. You know, that's number one, just start with what you don't wait. Don't go like, you know, oh, I need two acres of land or I need 50 acres of land. Oh, I can't do anything unless I got all that. You have a quarter acre of land, you know, like start with that. You know, if you got less than that, even that, you know, just start with whatever you got. You know, just if you got a little back garden and you think you can grow, you know, a lot of spearmint and you have a next door neighbor who has a bar and sells mojitos, you know, and then that's what you really want to do. Just start growing spearmint it. in the back of your um and yeah, so like, that's number one say it's just with something so then like going say like talking technically speaking you know it looks like you did a great job in like building fertility in any of the pieces of land that you've managed like what are some tips that you give to people who just want to like yeah get fertility going in a piece of ground quickly and and, and make it productive well if you have the money and you can invest and do that that's probably the easiest just buy a lot of a lot of stuff, but not many people have that. So, <laughs> um, but um, you want to create fertility. I would say start like with a no-till area. You know, like start no-till, like in a no-till something. Maybe 
you know, grab, grow, grow some, some type of grass or legume that goes crazy, creates lots of biomass, chop it, drop it, and then plant off of that, you know, maybe you do a second one if you have time and energy, you could do a second one, then, um, then start planting, or maybe you start, you know, 80% of your field, you, you do it like that, and 20% you actually buy some fertilizer. So basically, um, maybe you grab a, a piece of the property, you know, and you, 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 you start working the fertility on a slow basis, and then you grab a little area of the, of the area farm, and you actually purchase some good fertile soil and, and start working with that. So by the time that starts, you know, you start getting something out of that 20% or 10% of your land, then your other major parts of your land are starting to get more fertile. Mm -hmm. um, start with uh, crops that are very easy for your area, you know, things that don't need much fertility, you know. Yep. It's another big one, you know, just uh, if, if you really want to grow carrots, but you know that your area is not for carrots, then don't do carrots. You know, like if it's if, it, if your area is known for, you know, beans, then do beans. You know, if your area is known for, and, and so that's one of them. And then the other thing is if you can start from the very get-go, start doing some like land management, which is what I call it, just get some chickens, you know, Start doing that and then uh, let your weeds grow and then just feed your chickens weed. They'll turn your fertile soil into, you know, that soil into some really nice stuff and then move on to another area and have them start throwing weeds there. And by then you can start planting on the area where the chickens were. Mm -hmm. That's a fast way of getting some good, some good nutrients into the ground. You know, you can just do one month, you know, you, you put your chickens in one area for about a month, six weeks feed them weeds, you move them, you let, then you get them out of there, you know, you start tilling the soil a bit and then you got already an area to start planting guaranteed that most stuff is going to work there. Yep. Yep. And I mean, you've always, any, any pieces of land that I go to of yours, there's never animals far away. There's always ducks and pigs and sheep and, and, and chickens and piles of manure <laughs> Uh, like in always in Pilares and in uh, and in Antigua, you always see lots of animals and quite a diversity of animals. You know. Yeah, we we create hundred percent of our of our fertilizer. We don't outsource any fertilizer. Uh, you know, that's that's our big thing. The one thing we do outsource is uh, like carbon carbon stuff. You know, like uh, sawdust or or hay, and that's something you know when you have animals. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's hay or it's sawdust. I mean, maybe in your area it's dry leaves of some type of forest nearby, or you know, yeah. it's like you got to find what what you have nearby that you can work with, and you know, that's the perfect combination: carbon to nitrogen from the poop of the animals, and then you create amazing fertilizer. And um, unless you got your big, huge land, and from there you can get your own carbon source. You know? I feel like that's always the thing that people underestimate maybe is where to get a good source of carbon i mean there there always is something but it's never it, it's it's tough to get a good reliable one here as well yeah i mean uh, it could be you know it could be milpa <laughs> it could be you know, it could be the sticks of milpa just throw a whole bunch of them. i mean i mean who knows what i mean it could be there's like i mean some are better than others but you got to work with what you got unless you want to 
you know, outsource farther away, but sometimes the farther you go, the harder it becomes, you know? Right. Yeah. And then the idea is eventually, you know, if you get enough land and stuff to start producing it yourself, but I mean, that's, that becomes hard. You know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, um, to hear you talk about it, um, it sounds like you, you had like quite a, a business focused, um, practical mindset about getting into this stuff. But I know from being with you on your farm and on your new piece of land that you're, you are very passionate about, um, about how the impact your farms have and on kind of all kind like you're very passionate about um, biodiversity in your areas and about kind of regeneration in general, I always feel. So can you maybe talk about like how your did getting into this style of agriculture, did it change your perspective or was it something that was always there? Well, uh, I come from, I went to a boarding school in Colorado back in the day. That's really where I got it. Got into it. Um, I left Guatemala when I was 14, and I was there till I was 18. And this boarding school was uh, very like hands-on work boarding school. We had our own carpentry; everything was made there. We had our electrician crew, so we had to we had our vehicles. We had a ranch, so we had to take care of the animals. We had to do chipping our eyes. We had to, and, and one of them, we had to cook everything in the cafeteria. We had people there. We, we had library crew, and we had one of them was gardening, you know, and, and within the gardening was all the day, day students and mothers run the gardening program. And, um, yeah, I'd say 20% of everything we had at school was from our garden, you know, like, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that came from our garden. And, um, and it's only gotten bigger. Like nowadays, I keep up through Facebook with, with, I don't really have Facebook, but once in a while I do have Facebook. That's kind of, huh? <laughs> I, I don't have it on my phone. I don't have it. It's just once in a while when I log in my, in my, in my computer and it's so difficult. I don't notice it, but I, I follow my boarding school and, um, I see their gardening program has grown a lot. And so that was my first introduction to really like, you know, they student mothers who always had garden plots. They were already doing preserves, growing stuff. And there was a different season. So there was the winter. So we had to prepare things and the, in the winter for when spring came and then in spring for when summer and then for the fall and then get ready again for winter. So it was kind of cool. Then, um, I learned, I, I started learning kind of like what I teach is the difference between an organic product versus organic agriculture, which for me, our organic agriculture is a lot more than just the product. You know, you can have a big company like Chiquita Banana sell organic bananas nowadays, but that doesn't mean it follows organic agriculture practices. It just follows organic product practices. It just puts organic fertilizer and sprays organically with all that type of stuff. But that doesn't mean it's, it's following all these other uh, practices, you know, that go hand in hand with palm permaculture. And, you know, those are sustainability, you know, which I believe in a lot. I, I try to be as sustainable as possible. Like goals to be a hundred percent sustainable, but I don't think I'm nowhere near that, but that's the goal. Um, biodiversity, you know, that's the other one, you know, the more biodiverse, the better, you know, how low impact to the environment can you be? You know, like, 
just because you're organic, that doesn't mean that you're not being a high impact to the environment. Well, I, I mean, I might even say the one of the things I definitely notice about Cooba Farms and and about other pieces of land that I've seen for years is it's not just that it's very hard. You're not going to have no impact on the environment, but you're a lot of the farming you seem to do actually seems to have a positive impact on the environment. You know, it's like I try to do it the the least amount and if possible a positive impact. So. That's what we try to do. Um, and then with the, you know, impact to the environment, like I said, I mean, you can have an organic product, organic coffee, let's say, you know, it's very popular. Okay, we got organic coffee, but it could be that they cut a whole mountain full of forest, you know, that was very diverse, was more sustainable, you know, and they just wiped down the forest. And sure enough, they plant coffee, but it's organic because now they're fertilizing it with organic. That's not a Impact. Right. That's a, and they can I, take I, all the fertility that the forest left there and, and use yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's in a coffee for you, but you know, it's not sustainable, it's not low impact, it's not biodiverse, you know, so you're losing right. all those already with they come in hand with, you know, uh, organic agriculture, which there's many methods, one of them being permaculture, you know, and within permaculture, there's many other methods, you know, biointensive, you know, bio, biodynamic. You know, no tilling, food forests. There's yeah, could you could you talk maybe in terms of like which of the which of those techniques that you mentioned say has influenced your uh, your thinking the most, or has it been a mix of all of them? It's been a mix. It's been a mix. I mean, I have fun. I have more fun with some, and I and I, and, I, and I use others more for business. So biointensive for me is a very business oriented, but it's a profitable business area. Um, you know, it, there's different terms to each one. You know, one kind of they're self-seeding in a biointensive. You need to half the stuff you're planting is for seed, you're making your own seed. You know, you need large amounts of seed to be doing biointensive, but you got to be on top of your seed. Biointensive, like, bio just as like when we talk about biointensive, you're essentially saying what? How much money? That's at the end of the game is how much money can you get off a square foot per year? You know, right. That's, that's, that's business oriented. You know, how much, how much produce, how much stuff, how much money wise can you get off of one square foot by doing it always in a sustainable way and organic as possible? Right. Uh, that's for me, biointensive. Yeah. Uh, and know, it and really implies kind of really well composted fertilizers, liquid fertilizers, saving your own seed, double digging your own beds. Yeah, um, you don't. You don't rest the land, so you need a lot of backup fertilizer. You need a lot of uh, biomass to keep feeding and feeding and feeding that land so it doesn't get sick. You know, you need to incorporate so much stuff into it. So um, it's, it's a lot of work because you got to be doing your – with biointensive comes many other areas that you don't see where it's growing. You need a lot of fertilizer. You need a lot of seeds. You need, you need a lot of labor, you know, but with that, you produce a lot of product. And if you have where to sell it, well, there you go. With a small plot, you can produce quite a bit. Um, quite a bit, yeah. And you can be very consistent. You know, that's the other big word, consistency. You know, with biointensive, you can be very consistent. With a food forest, with no tilling, with other things, it's, it, you can do a lot. But with a lot less, the thing is, you can doesn't mean you can't make money, but there's a lot less expenses to it. You don't produce as much, but there's a lot less expenses. So your margin of winnings could be just as good if you do it correctly, which a lot of people like, you know, because it's chiller, just mellower and all that. And you can still produce enough to sell and make money, but your expenses are so much lower 
And so because your labor is much lower, your, your input into it is a lot lower. Therefore, your margin could be a lot bigger with what you sell. But right. you don't sell anywhere near as much per square foot a year than you, you, what you would do with a biointensive program. So with biointensive, you need a, unless you're outsourcing everything, but then it's, you're not following the sustainable part. You can outsource your seeds. You can outsource your, uh, you know, labor. You can outsource your, your manure and, and your fertilizing and all that. And, Therefore, but then it's, it ends up actually being more expensive. Sometimes, right. You know, but then, like so you much. say, like you say, you've got like a nice mix to your farms because you've got that biointensive thing right in the middle of Coaba Farms, your big Bokashi um, production area, and then really all around it is like <clears throat> your sort of dream permaculture forest gardens around the whole thing with like yeah, more like no food forest and that and then and you know it's a small area so we're not managing a few other styles you know in the other farms we manage no tilling land management you know food forests again biointensive and uh you know you get into some other you know uh, practices you know that you can manage so okay so uh, i want to i want to getting getting Staying on this stuff, right, like, I know you sort of mentioned some of the disadvantages to working in Guate, right? Like, like there's not really this culture of, of liking organic food. There's heavy use of sort of conventional agricultural techniques. But, like, then at the same time, you can't help but see all this potential in this incredible uh, ecosystem with all this biodiversity. Like, do you see... Um, do you see any chance of, of the type of agriculture you're doing really catching on here and really being taken and and uh, and implemented on a large scale? Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 the systems I manage are are meant to be reproduced on a large scale, and that's what I'm starting to do with Paramos. I mean, it's 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 the larger you get, the more sustainable it becomes. I feel like you know, it's like it's a you know, you got more access to more fertilizer, to more wood chips, to way more access of, of of land for your land. Animals can groom and produce way more that and all that. Really, what it comes down to is, you know, you're definitely going to need a little bit more more labor, but with that comes more money. Therefore, you can, you know, the the problem is once you start getting bigger, is finding markets for this stuff because you know right. you can but become so a lot. As long as you got a market where to sell it, you're becoming way more profitable in terms of like dollars, dollars spent, dollars sold, you know, the, you know, you're then in a smaller area because you just got so much more to work with, but you need that as you get, there's a a balance to where you, you can sell it because if you start producing way more than you can sell and, and, and get rid of, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're end up with all this stuff and then that yeah. start getting higher and, so what is why don't you tell me a little bit what's your vision for this place in Paramos this this hundred acre place that you've bought in in the Highlands? Well, you know it's 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 actually a lot more. We just bought more land, so now we have about one hundred fifty acres. But um, wow. basically, uh, you know that's where we start integrating a lot more than just farming. You know, you got to integrate community, and so. That's something I didn't finish. So I was saying sustainability comes with uh, organic agriculture. I think you know biodiversity, low impact. But within low, with, after that, there's more more things. Then there's community oriented. You know, how do you involve your community to educate them? So that within community, then comes education, and then with educate, and then far but not least is 
organic practices, meaning organic fertilizing, organic spraying, if you're going to do any of that, you know, um, and how with sustainability comes, how can you produce your organic fertilizer and, and your organic sprays? You know, that's, that's the more you can produce your, all your own stuff, the more sustainable you are, the, the more control you have over everything. Um, but, uh, uh, and now I'm at the step where I'm trying to, so I've, I've done a good successful job at six, I've done a successful job at sustainability. I feel like I'm pretty sustainable in many areas of the field. I've done a good uh, at biodiversity. I've done a good at trying to be low impact. Like you said, we're trying to create a high, a, 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 even a better impact instead of low impact. You know, we're reforestating areas. You know, we're bringing back soil richness to the soil. We're bringing it back in biodiversity. You know, we're bringing all these things back that probably didn't exist, you know, or we're lacking of or we're very minimum. And, um, and so we're doing that. And then we've done a good job now at the, not at Paramos yet, but in, in, in Cabo Farms, at, the, the most recent one has been community. We've opened up a farm. We got all these activities. We have a farmer's market. We have all that stuff. You know, our next step is trying to move into ed education, you know, how to, it create a, an income from educating people through teaching them farming, cooking, you know, work crews. It could be anything from electricity to carpentry to ceramics to, I mean, just, and to workshops like yoga and diets and who knows what you could come up with. I mean, there's hundreds of things, but through educating, and that's where we're starting to get into. And, uh, I think we've, we're just starting to get into that, into, um, so I'm just starting to get into that in, in, in the Cabo Farms in Antigua. And we're still pretty far away from all that in Cabo Farms in, in Paramos. But that's going to be pretty much what we're going to do in the farm in Paramos, but taking it up to the next level, you know, hopefully, where we have so much land to play with that where, you know, hopefully we'll have retreats, you know, tours, you know, all sorts of courses. You know, we could, it'd be nice to come up with something like, a little tiny like school and, and, you know, or even places where you can get credits from universities to come there and, and take a course and get credits and head on out, you know? So, I mean, that's, yeah. And you know, you've got the, you know, you've got the, um, the support of, of abundant edge and Atitlan organics in, in all these plans for education. And, yeah. uh, so we'll put up, um, through the, through the abundant edge website, we'll for sure put up any, um, any courses that are that are going to be coming up in the next sort of year or so because I really think you've got a fantastic teaching space there you know and a lot a lot of really useful stuff to learn it's not just hogging it up all for yourself there's only so much you can do by yourself so the idea is that there's where comes community and 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 that's why you know get teachers who go you know yoga retreats okay we find the yoga retreat guy you know we, you want to do a, a fermentation course, we get fermentation people. You want to do a construction course, we get construction guys. You know, we want to do a permaculture course, we bring the permaculture guys. You know, you want to do a ranch crew, deal with animals, do that. You want to get a butcher, and then I found a really cool butcher who's like a Jewish kosher butcher from the States who butchers all sorts of stuff. <laughs> He's a professional Hell yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. He, went, he actually I went to university to be a butcher. That's... <laughs> That's the kind of guy you want to be learning from. Yeah, so I mean, like stuff like that, you know. So I mean, I I can't do none of that, but that you know, the the facility we got plays itself to bring all these people 
share the community, give the education, and then, you know, we are a business, so try to make some income off of all this so we can support local uh, uh, community as well, giving jobs, you know, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, It's exciting, man. It's exciting. I think a lot of our listeners are going to really want to sign up for some of these courses, so we, we'll talk more about that after the interview. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but uh, no, man, that's super exciting. Um, and your plan is to is to go up and live there too, right? Yeah, um, I needed to do something. I, I needed to get out of Antigua as soon as possible, so I went, you know, I did it super simple with what I had and just went with that, you know? And so I, I couldn't wait to start doing that go bricks and this and that and all sorts, you know, I just, just went off with wood, started going, building as much as possible as I could. And, um, not even wood from the farm, just buying wood, you know, I had a little bit of money. So right now I just didn't have time for drying the wood. And I, I just needed to get out of the other farm because I lived behind the kitchen of a restaurant. So it was driving me freaking crazy. And the place is big enough that, you know, all these other houses from here on on, which once I'm there, I'm going to just, I just needed to be at that farm now. So once I'm there, everything else can come so much smoother and more sustainable. And although this is going to have an eco toilet and we're going to have hot water through compost and solar and, you know, we're going to have, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty fun, but, um, we're going to definitely take the other houses way to the next level with people who know what they're doing because I don't, I sure don't when it comes to construction. And that's where we've been trying to bring in Oliver here and, you know, you guys and see what we can do. There's so much to play with. I just couldn't wait, you know, I couldn't wait to, to get going. So that's why I started with my house. Um, small, you know, but it'll be cozy. And then once I'm there, you know, I'll probably be there three quarters of the time and a quarter of the time in Antigua. And uh, once I'm there, you know, I'll be able to have more clear minded and start thinking of uh, future projects. And I won't be in a hurry because everything else can come a little bit smoother with like naturally. This one was kind of forced into it, just which is not the way I like to do things. But I really needed to uh, personally wise get out of the other place. So, um, yeah. I'm excited. It's super exciting, man. Um, and I can't wait to design some some projects and some courses with you. I know Oliver's super excited as well. Um, so listen, Alex, that's uh, that's all I wanted to get through. It's been great talking to you, and and thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I think it's there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there for for people. I hope. Well, I mean, we can always have a, a, a part two later on. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we could have a part three and a four, especially as this as especially as this land in Paramo starts to develop. Um, because you're really going to be seeing, as you say, two totally different styles of agriculture there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, actually, the interesting Just learning thing a lot about, about well digging, you know, well digging is like an art. Oh, my gosh. Well digging is an art. Um I mean, Guatemala, for people who, who are listening from other countries, is such a fascinating place to study agriculture anyway, because even in the 40 minutes that separates your land in Antigua and in Paramos, those are two do- totally different, uh, totally different climates. Yeah, two- I, got a, I got a list of new plants coming around, you know, exciting new plants. Uh, I got all sorts of crazy stuff I brought from Europe and all that, which I'm going to start. I was finally starting to reproduce from seed. 
from different types of apples to different types of apricots and plums to mulberries. Um, I'm getting all these like really crazy berries like black currant, red currants. You know, um, um, I'm starting to get these uh, all, all these crazy stuff that uh, that we're getting. You know, starting to reproduce. So for that area, which is areas for colder weather, higher temperature, you know, so yeah, higher, higher altitude. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting, man. Are you have you got any nice varieties of potatoes? Any of the South American? Have you had a chance to bring any I of them? I have up? a lot of varieties of yams. I have a lot of varieties of yams and um, potatoes. I haven't gotten into the potatoes. Every time I seem to want to buy potatoes, it seems like out of season or something, you know, and so I haven't been able to find potatoes. Um, I did get some good garlic varieties, um, but uh, I, will start getting, I will start getting into the potatoes. I did get into some crazy roots from Peru, uh, the Moaca and Chuaca and some I can't even pronounce them properly, but they're like kind of like potatoes, but they're a lot smaller, but they got all this flavor in them, you know, so Kind of weird you see the thing is I'm asking you this because I'm an I'm Irish you know and it's like my the worst thing about living in Guatemala is I can't get good potatoes I can't get good potatoes and I can't get good, good strawberries and I feel like where you are there you I could help me a lot with that I, I, that's another thing I just started some strawberries from seed that come from Sweden and Sweden have really good strawberries and so I got about 20 plants that are about an inch tall right now that came from seed when I went to Sweden. So that's nice. kind of things. And once we get those, I'll start reproducing and sending you guys some some babies. I'd like that. I feel like I feel like they're not going to like it quite as much strawberries here in in Atitlan Organics as they will up there higher in in Paramos with you. But I think we could. They do like it. they like uh, cool days. You know, they like a lot of sun, but it needs to be cool, kind of cool. You know, that's what. Yeah, they really they, they kill it where I'm from in Ireland. You know. Well, you get like, those cold days that are sunny and bright, but it's cold. and long, long days too. You know, yeah, I feel like that's, that's a, a big thing. Either. That's something we don't get in Peru either. But that's yeah. what I, you know. I mean, it's one of the few things in the whole world <laughs> that grows well in 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 Ireland and and doesn't grow well in Guatemala because just about everything grows here somewhere. That's the kind of amazing thing about well, it, right? It's because of the long days that really kill us, you know, and that's. that's probably with seeds too, I think some some plants are very hard to go into seed because there's no long enough summers. Yeah, things like things like chard and beets and all those kinds of things they they don't seem to want to flower unless they get those extra day those extra hours of sunlight. Yeah, because what happens is they're programmed to they're program they think winter's coming. If that long day doesn't come, they still think winter's coming, so they're afraid of shooting their babies into winter and dying. You know. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. so, uh, very interesting <laughs> so anyway they, listen it's like could, smart you know they're, they're, they're super smart you know they know they, it gets triggered like oh it's where as, as spring comes and it's entering summer you know it's like oh we've moved past the 14 hours of daylight it's a trigger that says hey you know we're entering summer long summer so this is the time to start blooming and start producing your seeds so you can throw them out in the fall so then they can get covered in, in snow and, and be warm through the soil. So then when the spring comes, they can sprout. But if, if they, you know, if, if they start blooming in the fall and the winter kills the bloom, you know, it's like there's no, they didn't even have time to reproduce the seeds. 
Yeah. Correct. I mean, this is almost, you know, this reminds me of the book I read um, on plant intelligence or on a, on a couple of... Um, Which book on a couple of, uh you know what? I can't think of the name of it right now, but I'll put it up on the I'll put it up on the website and I'll send it to you. It's a book called Plant Intelligence. Also, Rupert Sheldrake talks about it in his stuff on morphic resonance, uh, which is the idea that plants are actually aware of what's going on. You know that they yeah, they're very aware. Um, which I feel like you really everyone who gardens sort of intuitively understands that. <laughs> um, sounds good. But uh, anyway, listen, Alex, this is, it's been great to talk to you and uh, thanks a million for joining us and I'll, talk to, I'll, I'll see you this weekend, actually. Okay, sounds good. We'll have a good time. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Okay, man. Bye. So before we wrap up this show for the week, I've got some exciting news about the upcoming months. And I'm joined here now with my good friend and founder of Atitlan Organics, Shad Goodsey. Hey, buddy, what's new? Oh, man, so much is happening. First off, though, I just want to say thanks for having me, man. I really love your podcast, and I actually had a great time doing that interview back in one of the earlier episodes. Anyway, probably what's most exciting is our new collaboration between Atitlan Organics and Abundant Edge. As you know, we've been offering permaculture design courses for over six years now, and they really have become a staple here in Lake Atitlan. In particular, though, the Intro to Permaculture course is just an amazing way for travelers, gardeners, architects, basically anyone to fully immerse themselves in this new paradigm of permaculture design. Like honestly, you can't take this course and still see the world the same way afterward. Man. Yeah, it's life changing. Sure. But like I said, what I'm most excited about is that now, thanks to our collaboration, we're going to be able to offer your natural building course immediately after every one of our intro to permaculture courses. Literally, this two-week offering is like possibly the most complete package that I know of available anywhere. Basically, with these two courses alone, I think that someone should have everything they need to start their own regenerative project or just their own regenerative lifestyle. That's that's what I'm excited about, man. But uh, yeah, what about you? What's going on? Man, well, you know already that me and the Abundant Edge team are gearing up for a big season as well. I mean, starting in November, we'll be breaking ground on a regenerative farming demonstration site, which is, of course, right down the hill from your farm. We'll be building animal pens, a classroom, outdoor kitchens and lounge areas connected to houses, and it's all going to be made out of natural materials. I mean, the site is going to serve as a demonstration farm for perennial and regenerative farming methods for years and years to come. And we'll even be offering courses and internship opportunities to people who want to learn for themselves about how to build with natural materials and set up their own farms. Heck yeah. That sounds amazing, man. And honestly, this is just about the best place in the world to learn all these things too. I mean, this little town of Sununa in the gorgeous tropical mountains of Guatemala, like right here on the shores of Lake Atitlan, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And on top of that, you have this traditional indigenous Mayan culture that's still rich and alive. And probably my favorite part is that we have this world international community of alternative people that are open to new ideas and really putting things into practice. I mean, within walking distance of the Bamboo Guest House, you've got loads of things going on. we got the projects that we've already talked about, 
but you also have yoga retreat centers. You have Charlie Rendell's Natural Bamboo Building School. You have Love Probiotics. You got Fungi Academy. And honestly, loads more alternative, blow your mind type stuff. I honestly just feel like this is where it's all happening. Yeah, man, it really does. And I want to get as many people as possible in on these projects, but we've got to make sure that they've got the skills first. So what do you say? Let's offer a big discount to those who sign up for both courses. I mean, all food and lodging in the amazing Bamboo Guest House is already included in the tuition. So this will be like the best deal that we've ever offered. That's a great idea. Because I mean, people can still take just one course if that's what they're into or if they can't make the full two weeks. But this will actually make the two courses more accessible to even a wider audience of people. And that way more people can get the knowledge that they need to get started doing what they want to do. So hey, to all of you listening out there, we really want passionate and driven people like you to come and be a part of the community and the ecosystem that we're building out here. So if you're ready to take the next step and really dive in, there's no better time to invest in yourself by joining us on this journey to a regenerative future. Shad, how can they get in touch with us and see the upcoming events and workshop schedule? For sure. Well, for start, they can either go to atilanorganics.com and click on the workshops tab, or they can check out abundantedge.com and click on the education tab. Either one of these will get you all the information you need for all of the courses that we're offering in the months ahead. We're really looking forward to working and collaborating with all of you inspired and enthusiastic people out there. But even if you can't make it out yourself, I'm sure you know someone in your network who would jump at the chance to get involved in this positive, regenerative, and truly life-changing projects. So this is Oliver Gaucher and Shad Goodsey inviting you to come and be a part of the regenerative future that we are building. Can't wait to see you here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer, from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Right now, you can get a discount code for 50% off your digital subscription to the incredible Permaculture Magazine of North America, simply by finding the code under the show notes of this episode. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be a conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again on next week's session. Thank you.